Hello and welcome back to Pharmacist Diaries, the podcast that reveals the secret lives of pharmacists, from where their journeys began, where they are now, and everything in between. I am your host, Anisha Patel, and on today's episode, I had the pleasure of talking to Yolanta Bokowska on the podcast. She has been helping people from all walks of life with their health challenges for over 30 years as a pharmacist and now a nutritional therapist. She has spent majority of her career working as a community pharmacist all over the UK, and the stories she shares with us on today's episode are so interesting and inspiring. She first became interested in natural ways of restoring health and well-being when she was having some health issues due to early menopause such as migraines, brain fog and night sweats. She sought nutrition advice and had some functional testing to clarify exactly what was happening in her body and this changed everything for her. She was able to target specific imbalances in her body that were causing health challenges by making small tweaks to her diet introducing functional foods and a few high-caliber supplements. Following this, she decided she wanted to help others regain great health naturally, and she embarked on four years of study at the Institute for Optimum Nutrition in London. She now has her own online clinic and focuses on working as a nutritional therapist, helping men, women, and children achieve their best health using a holistic, natural approach. She uses a variety of functional tests to detect the root cause of your health challenges, focusing on the cause of your imbalances rather than just your symptoms. This allows her to detect underlying causes and provide a much more detailed and personalized approach for your journey to optimal health and well-being. She absolutely loves her new role and she cannot think of a better way of earning an income as well as being able to help people. She has a whole arena of extra tools and knowledge to support her clients to improve their health above and beyond her life as a pharmacist. I loved her energy on this podcast episode and I absolutely love how she values and prioritizes her mental, physical and emotional well-being to be the best version of herself. One of my favorite quotes from the episode was self-care sets the foundation to allow you to achieve your best life. Welcome to Pharmacist Diaries and, you know, thanks for making time for me today and also thank you for making such an effort in terms of what we're going to discuss on the podcast and getting just as excited as I am to have our discussion today. It's always nice to chat with someone who is just as passionate about, you know, what they do in their career and, um, you know, sharing their journey in terms of their work and their experiences. So, um, you know, I've really been looking forward to this conversation with you and, um, yeah, I'm really excited to, to post this podcast and we haven't even started yet. So, um, yeah, welcome. Thank you so much. And I'm delighted to be here and thank you for inviting me. Yeah, no problem. Um, we usually kickstart the episode by asking you why you became a pharmacist in the first place. So I remember even as a little girl, I always wanted to help people feel better. And so my first career choice at that age, about 10 or 12, was I wanted to be a doctor (laughs) until I realized I might have to give injections or, you know, stick needles in people. So 
I was always interested in sciences. And then when I was 17, I got a summer job at Boots and Destiny. They put me on the pharmacy counter and that was it. I I was overwhelmed, but that started a fascination of, um, you know, health, supplements, medicines, you know, whether OTC or prescribed. Amazing. Um, Yeah, I mean, I also worked as a, um, like a, on the counter in a pharmacy as a student. And um, I've told my listeners before, my parents have owned a pharmacy. So I can share your kind of passion of seeing how enjoyable it is to help people from a shop front um, and making an impact on people's lives um, and having so much variety in terms of the help and support that we provide the community um, and helping people with not just pharmacy related issues but the wellness side of pharmacy and whether it's beauty products or looking after your skin um looking after your hair the different types of you know shampoos looking at homeopathic medications and kind of herbal and supplements is always really interesting it does give you that diversity and it gives you a lot of knowledge as well because you're not just looking at medications per se but actually looking at the general kind of well-being of a of a person when they walk into your shop absolutely and that is what I really loved when I started out as a pharmacist is that those over-the-counter interactions um so and that just really started a lifelong passion about wanting to learn more about supplements and the different supplements that were out there and which one would work better, you know, the bioavailability and and also just lifestyle um, hacks in general. Yeah, and sometimes actually as <clears throat> working in community and though I was, um, you know, not a business owner and I was working on the counter, a lot of the time I was telling people, you know, not to take the medication and try, you know, lifestyle intervention in order to support something as simple as, you know, sleep, you know, they want a quick fix, but actually it's identifying from that kind of small conversation as to why they're not sleeping in the first place and what they've tried so far in terms of lifestyle interventions to improve and manage their sleep. Um, whether it's screen time, whether it's too much caffeine, you know, whether it's eating too late at night or having meals that give you reflux late at night and it keeps you up, whether it's stress-induced. There are so many reasons why we struggle with sleep and it's something I'm dealing with at the moment, actually. So it's always useful to look at those interventions first before having to advise on medications. And I really enjoyed that aspect as well is that, okay, well, let's give this a go. And it's always exciting when that customer comes back and is like, you know what, this really worked. And, you know, thanks for the support that you gave and giving me a small idea to try and make a a change to my life. And it's actually helped me. Um, And I didn't have to take anything for it. Um, and sometimes it's just a case of trying something over the counter for two or three days just to kind of kick you back into routine um, and not relying on something long term, but trying something just to 
support and manage your your sleep over a short period and then putting the lifestyle interventions into place in the meantime to make sure that you obviously get back to normal. But there are so many examples of things that we can do over the counter which provide that same kind of lifestyle intervention um, and then possibly providing medications to support on the side. Exactly. And when you first, uh, I guess, uh, joined the register or you were in your kind of last couple of years of uh, pharmacy in terms of school, what were your thoughts on what you wanted to do in terms of your career and where you wanted to go back then? Um, My aspirations, I don't actually know what my aspirations were. I just wanted to help, you know, people be well and stay well and I love the aspect of being you know a pharmacist within a community that I could really dive into that community and it's what you were just saying about you know you give some advice to a customer and if you are the resident pharmacist in that pharmacy then you know they come back maybe a few weeks later, a month later, and say, you know, that really worked. Thank you so much. Because I have done a lot of locum work as well. And I've always found that wasn't quite so satisfying because I I didn't get that element of being part of a community. Yeah, I, I always... Um... I I found over the years, and obviously I've only been a pharmacist for 11 years, so it's quite a short kind of time period. It's not long at all. Um, And I think a lot and reflect a lot about what I enjoy in terms of patient care. And for sure, I I love the kind of longer-term management patients. Um, Working on an acute ward and or in a community pharmacy as a locum where you are meeting new people all the time and you have an impact on that patient in a short space. Um, And it, you know, you'll never kind of meet them again, potentially, and you don't know what that intervention has created for them in terms of improving their lifestyle or helping them with a specific condition. Um, There is something very enjoyable and rewarding about spending a longer period of time getting to know a patient or a family or a child um, and helping them through a process and actually building that rapport and developing that relationship as a friend, you know, as someone they can rely on, as someone that they can trust. Because it is hard to go into a community pharmacy setting or an outpatient pharmacy or if you're on an A&E ward, you don't know anybody. And though you are honest and tell people how you feel, I'm sure that the interaction that you would have with someone that you feel you know a lot better um, would be a much nicer experience for you. So over the years, I have discovered that in terms of a kind of more permanent position, I know I need to be in a setting which allows me to build that relationship with people. Um, And palliative care has provided a bit of both. We do have patients who are obviously in an acute situation where we provide support from symptom management um, and they have come into the hospital. We meet them We may only spend a week or less time with them, Um, but we do have so many patients in the community who we build relationships with over months or years even. 
And it makes it harder in terms of the job because obviously with palliative care, you know, there is an end date to that patient's life. Um, And there is a lot of kind of grief and emotion that comes along with it. Um, The longer you know someone, the harder it becomes to let go. Um, But at the same time, you know that the impact that you've made on that patient is so much bigger and better than having that snapshot of kind of 10 to 15 minutes with that person. Um, So it's something that I really value in terms of what I look for in a job and the type of specialty area that I work within is that I've, I've wanted to find something where I can build that relationship, which I think is really valuable in terms of what I want to get out of my career. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, being part of this community, you know, you also get that trust and respect from, um, you know, uh, the GPs. So quite often the the GPs would say to a patient, or rather than prescribing you any sleeping tablets, go and see Yolanta next door. She, she'll sort you out with some, you know, whether it's um, um, herbal um, medication or some lifestyle medication. And I also got really involved with... Um, some local support groups, you know, um, I was involved in uh, the local fibromyalgia support group. And that was so satisfying, because they just invited me to their meetings, um, initially more to give talks. And then it was just very informal. And, you know, I learned the value that people want to be heard. It's part of the healing journey for somebody to listen to your story and also what you're going through, what you've been through. And I remember when MURs came in, I used to love them because, again, it's a chance to sit down with a patient and just talk. Um, Mm. You know, obviously, they weren't that long. Um, but again, it was a chance to sort of share our expertise in, in all these different areas and to really give that patient some specific um, advice on things that they could do to improve their health and well-being, as well as, you know, you know, around the medication that's interesting. And it's it's interesting that they invited you along to provide talks. So what kind of, I guess, information were you providing to those patients? I assume lifestyle interventions? Lifestyle interventions. So I remember at the time, I really um, got very interested in supplements and bioavailability of various supplements and how they were made. And especially I was um, I was fascinated with magnesium. I mean, magnesium has so many functions in the body. And when you go and purchase magnesium, I mean, there's magnesium oxide, magnesium citrate, magnesium taurate, glycinate, and they all do all have slightly different functions in the body. And so one of the talks I was talking about, magnesium citrate, 
Um, and the value of that, you know, if you take that in the evening, how that can really relax and calm the body down. And this one lady, she must have, she was at the talk and then about a couple of weeks later, she came into the pharmacy and she says, um, well, I bought that magnesium and I started taking it and I, I've actually now come off my amitriptyline medication because I don't need it. I find that, you know, the magnesium has really calmed and relaxed my body so much that the, you know, I'm pain free throughout the night. So, you know, you never know one piece of advice, you know, that you give to somebody, the, the, the effect that that will have on another person. It's the beauty of our jobs, though, because it happens all the time. And that feedback that you get is what keeps you going. Exactly. Knowing that you've helped someone. And this is why people work in healthcare, because you're helping people. Yeah. Um, it, it's massively rewarding and it gives you the buzz that you kind of need to keep going. And knowing that you've supported your community, especially in retail pharmacy or in the community pharmacy setting is a really wonderful experience. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it um, when I used to work regularly on the weekends in community and, and having that community feel and getting to know everybody who work, work, like walks into the door was a really enjoyable experience and for you I mean you've spent so many years in community pharmacy whether it was locuming or whether it was in one store you must have had that kind of um, relationship with so many customers. Yes absolutely I mean I qualified in 1990 so I, I have had a very colourful career and um, but I, I would say that my happiest time career wise was um, it was round about 2006. And I spent 10 years down in a pharmacy in Devon and I was involved in um, opening up a new pharmacy within this um, inter integrative medical center. So there was about 15 GPs, but there was a lot of um, complementary therapists as well, you know, acupuncture, um, cranial sacral, osteopaths, chiropractors, um, the Alexander Technique. And um, being part of that centre was really um an amazing experience because people got to know you and um it was a wonderful community and we even did ran some q a sessions for patients in the evenings and um, I, I pretty much um lived to work though you know i had no social life work was my social life <laughs> Yeah, I think all of us go through that at some point in our lives and um, because there's always so much going on in pharmacy, there's always so much extra you can get involved with. And if you are the type of pharmacist that enjoys doing the kind of extra kind of support group work, education and training, kind of getting involved with other healthcare professionals to support the community, if that's something that you enjoy and um, you're always going to say yes. It's actually difficult to say no because you're like, I don't want to miss out. 
on helping other people and being part of this group or being part of this community it's it's actually really fun um so you end up doing a lot and then work does kind of become your life um and I guess before I had a child and before I had a husband it was a lot easier to say yes to everything because you have the time um even as a resident I used to work um evening shifts in a community pharmacy from I'd finish um my shift at five and then go to the community pharmacy for six and work till 10 o'clock for extra pocket money. Back then I used to save that pocket money for flights to Dubai because my husband and I were doing a long distance relationship before we were married. Um, and the flights were so cheap. They were sort of 270 pounds return um, with Royal Brunei back then. Mm-hmm. Um, so I only needed to do a few shifts in order to kind of get that pocket money um in order to to be able to purchase flights and we used I used to go there every 8 weeks for 3 years um so it allowed me to you know enjoy that relationship and kind of travel around the world multiple times a year um even when I'm doing a resident job doing night shifts weekends finishing my diploma it was a really crazy time I was constantly on the go for literally 3 years but I loved it I loved it I loved it. And the memories from that job were just amazing. Um, and the life I had at that time was very different to kind of the life I have now. Um, and it's quite hard to change your um, mindset in terms of kind of forcing yourself to slow down um, and understanding that you can't run at the same pace um, that you used to be able to as you get older. And I'm not old, um, you know, I'm 38 years old, but I still feel like I definitely can't do all of the things that I used to be able to do at the same pace. I need to kind of mentally slow down a little bit. And also um, with a child, there's a lot more kind of stress and things that you need to be kind of aware of, including dealing with their emotions, the changes that they go through mentally, physically, emotionally, and being there for them. Like it's a huge responsibility and that impact that on you and, and, you know, your, your mental health is something you have to be very mindful of when you become a parent and you become a family. Um, but I do have very fond memories of what it was like to be a machine pharmacist um, and run around like a lunatic and just love every moment of what I was getting involved with. Um, and I wish I could go back in time again uh, because I did really enjoy it um, and I thrived in that environment. And it's definitely a great, yeah, it's a great memory. I, I can relate to that What could because when I started out in pharmacy, I was working in one store you know, nine till 5.30, I'd catch the bus to the other end of town and then do um, 6 p.m. till 10 p.m. shift. Oh, really? And again, I, I thrived on it. Mm. Um, I definitely wasn't taking care of myself. I was eating a lot of McDonald's uh, because that was the fastest thing to eat. But, you know, in my 20s, I didn't mind working all those hours. And in fact, you know, like you say, the, that extra pocket money, that allowed me to then take, um, I literally took a year out to travel. Okay. And I did the <clears throat> wonderful, um, you know, I was in Australia for six months. I went to Peru and did a um, did some voluntary work in a school in Peru, and then I also spent some time in Romania, 
doing some voluntary work, working with um, or looking after children in a hospital. So, you know, that that was because I'd worked crazy hours and, you know, a good sum of money to enable me to then do that. And I think that's very valuable in terms of, you know, you know it's a short-term time period where you need to be a little bit of a machine. But it's not that you're just doing it to save the money because you think it's important to save money. Um, it, you, you've done it with intention. You've done it with purpose. You've done it with value. You know exactly what you want to use that money for. And it's it makes it easy to then get to that shift and say, actually, yes, I'm going to work from 6 to 10 p.m. and it's going to be a tiring day tomorrow, but I'm doing it for a reason. I'm doing it so I can enjoy a certain amount of time, um, you know, a whole year abroad um, doing what I, I I want to do and experiencing international travel and helping other communities from a different perspective, a non-pharmacy perspective, um, which is amazing. I've never been to Peru. It I'm always reading about it now because of Paddington Bear. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm always um, – because I read a lot of Paddington Bear with my daughter. We're always talking about the darkest, de- deepest, darkest Peru right. in our stories. Um, so even she's always asking me about where it is on the map and how far it is from us. And um, we even watched the Paddington movie. So obviously we got to see where Paddington came from. Um, <laughs> I'd love to go there. I've been to Argentina and I spent some time oh, wow. during university in the summer months Um Again, I worked as a pharmacist, um, not as a pharmacist, as a counter assistant in a community pharmacy for that purpose to save money to in order to travel like you. But I just did it throughout the university kind of course. And in my summer months, I would go and travel and enjoy myself because I can, because I know that this is the only kind of spare time I'm really going to get. There's not going to be an opportunity once I become an employee to just swan off and do what I want to when I want to, you know? So it's good to take advantage of that um, when you're a student. So tell me more about, um, I guess, your locuming experience. And um, I understand you obviously traveled around and and locumed in different pharmacies. What was that like for you? So, yes, I spent about two years uh, locuming around the country. and I basically, I had, and this is during the time when there was a shortage of pharmacists. Um, and I basically rang a locum company up and I said, look, I'm willing to travel anywhere. If you pay for the accommodation, um, then I can go wherever. And so I was, you know, would spend a week, say, um, in, you know, in Exeter or, you know, down in Weymouth, um, various, various towns in Cornwall, um, even as far as Hull, Derby, uh, Norfolk. And so I'd be working crazy hours. So literally start on the Monday, work right through till Saturday. And Sunday was my day for travel. So I remember mm. once doing this, I think I was in Red Ruth in Cornwall and all of Sunday I literally spent traveling to Bungie 
in um, Norfolk. <laughs> that, that was an epic drive, ready to start, you know, Monday morning. And again, you know, I loved, I, I love seeing the different towns, meeting different people. The hours were long, but this is, I, I had it already in my mind that I wanted to go traveling. So I think, you know, having that mindset, that aspiration really helped. And um, just meeting lots of different people, you know, customers, patients, but also the teams in the stores. Um, and everyone really, really made me feel so welcome. And, and I got to see wonderful parts of Cornwall. Um, and, you know, after work, you know, going down to the beach and having all these wonderful hikes along the cliffs. So it was, it, yeah, I really enjoyed my time. I wouldn't have wanted to have done it for very long. But because it was literally just under two years, it... Um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, I can definitely see the the value and also the skills that you gain from that type of experience are also really important because you can walk into any pharmacy and do your job. And that kind of flexibility and adaptability is, is definitely something valuable that you can take on into other roles. Um, for me, as a resident pharmacist, you move to a different ward specialty every three months and you have to get to know new nurses, new doctors, new physios, you know, new members of the pharmacy team that you're going to be working with. And that was an invaluable experience because you're forced into situations where you have to build relationships very quickly. You have to get to know people very quickly. And to be honest, it's perfect for me because actually I thrive in that environment. Genuinely, I really like making friends and talking to people. I love to get to know people. And as a resident, what was so exciting is when you do rotate, you literally know every single member of the pharmacy team. You know, you're not just kind of attached to the people that you work with on a day-to-day -day basis and have a few other friends. You literally know everyone. Um, and that's a really enjoyable part of the job. For some people that can be quite daunting and it can be quite a challenge in the beginning, but you build confidence with time. And when I worked as a resident, all the doctors would also rotate. So it was really enjoyable to work with someone, you know, on a trauma ward and then six months later, find them on the renal ward with you and you reunite again. And you're so excited to see each other and spend another six months together, you know, on that rotation. And um, again, it was exciting because you're all in the same situation when you're juniors um, and um, you, you build those friendships long term. Even after I left Oxford and I went to Dubai for five years and I came back to the UK, I chose to go and locum at um, the hospital in Oxford because it was my home. It was kind of my comfort zone. It was easy for me to go back. I knew the systems, you know, and, and that made it a very easy transition. But it was so exciting to go back and actually see some of the junior doctors now as kind of consultants, you know, and it was, you know, you come across them by chance and that feeling of friendship and just giving them a hug and just, you know, you've been through quite tough times together when you were younger and you know the hard long hours and the night shifts and seeing each other in the middle of the night on the ward and having a coffee together to survive and then seeing each other as kind of grown-ups <laughs> um was really enjoyable 
but also the adaptability of moving abroad for me and working internationally for five years in a completely strange environment and having to find a job and fit into a new culture, make new friends, um, move in with my husband when we didn't live with each other before we got married. Um, and just, it was very different being away from family, from friends and starting fresh. For me, it was really exciting. It was an adventure. I never had any nerves about doing it. Um, but of course for everyone, you know, everyone is different and people would find that quite scary. Um, but once I got out there, you know, I just loved every minute of that experience. Um, there were some challenges along the way. I did find it hard to find a job in the beginning. Um, but I've, you know, I made it and it was, it was really enjoyable. So I can see the advantages of being a locum pharmacist. I can definitely see the advantage of traveling to all these different situations or different locations and putting yourself into these new environments and how much of an impact that has on you as a person and as a professional. Yes. And, you know, like you say, it's also building those relationships, you know, mm. maybe with a new team in a new store. Um, I, I, just, I just thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. That's not to say um there were major major challenges and you you, you know that, that some things did happen um but on the whole i i really really loved it and it's like you say you you become very fle flexible and adaptable and you have to have that sort of confidence when you enter that pharmacy for the first time mm. you know you are the responsible pharmacist and you you need to work on gaining that trust. And um, so, so that was that was a really, really good experience for me. Yeah. I mean, we had we had locums come into our community pharmacy and we always used to be, you know, in the morning, we'd be like, oh, please, we really hope this is a good pharmacist today. We really hope that they're confident and they're good at their job because otherwise the day can be quite difficult to manage because when someone's new and they don't know your processes or how busy it is or how hard you have to work or how many customers come through that door, um, that first day is a real challenge for that pharmacist. But some people have amazing confidence walking into a pharmacy and just getting on with it and they find it really easy to transition into that new environment um, but as a member of staff um, when you have someone new walking in the door there is a little bit of anxiety in the hopes that you don't have to push extra hard in order to support that person though you want to be helpful sometimes you feel like it's a really challenging day for you because you're having to do so much more to kind of pick up the pieces um, but it's a really tough job. It's very challenging to walk into a new pharmacy and be amazing and, and be confident and, and kind of, you don't know how people work. You know, you don't know how they're, you know, who goes on lunch breaks when, and if you ask someone to do something differently to their normal routine, it can cause friction or tension by mistake. Um, and managing that can be quite challenging as well. Absolutely. And also, you, you know, so I did my low coming in my early 30s. Um, and it was exciting. And I know that, you know, 10 years down the line, I did some more low coming um, closer to home. But I was commuting long distances in a day. Mm. And when you add in 
a long drive, you know, to your working day, you know, sometimes it was an hour and 15 minutes in, you know, really heavy traffic. And so you're stressed already, even before you get to the pharmacy. And then sometimes you don't quite know where you're going. The sat nav doesn't always take you where you need to be. And, you know, I just felt, you know, I'm not in a good position, you know, to be able to walk in with that confidence. It's almost like I needed just 10 minutes to take a breath you know, sort of ground myself before I could even start work. Um, And I have found that sort of the older I got or the more I progressed in my career, I locoming just wasn't as satisfactory as it used to be. Mm. Yeah, things have changed. Like the expectations on community pharmacists have definitely increased the amount of services we're expected to provide, um, you know, it has become a little bit of a numbers game in terms of enhanced services and doing lots of MURs. And though we are supporting the community, it's really important that we make sure that we look after the health and well-being of our workforce. Um, and, and, you know, we've discussed this before that as a community pharmacist, it, it's a really hard job. Like when I've locumed and you just don't really get time to go for a break um you know and have kind of five to ten minutes eating without interruption um and that becomes your normal routine um for me going into that environment it's it's not it doesn't seem right because I'm in a hospital where I can take a coffee break when I need it I can manage my time and the patients that I see on the ward in the manner that I see fit. I'm not expected to, um, I guess, have a queue of patients that are waiting for me. I mean, I'm not in a clinic setting, so that is quite different. But even in clinics, you're given a lunch break. You're not expected to go nine to five without being able to eat in peace. And we do have an hour for lunch and is protected. We might have a bleep or two in that time, but if it's an emergency every now and again, you may need to go back to the ward to support. Um, but generally, if it's, oh, we need to discharge this patient, um, but we have a couple of hours, you can still finish your lunch and go back to the ward in your leisure without feeling like you're rushed. And to be honest, it's quite a luxury. It's quite a luxury in comparison to what community pharmacists have to go through. And I do find that it's really hard. And I wish that It would be a rule that every pharmacy has a half an hour lunch break where the doors actually close and people are allowed to have rest and recovery from what they're expected to do on a day to day to hydrate themselves, to sit down and actually eat in peace. I find that that's just, it just seems so wrong. It just, that is so crucial. It's so, so, so important, you know, to just. Also, I mean, I've spent, you know, during my um, time as a community pharmacist, sometimes you're sitting in a dispensary in a corner, you know, eating very quickly. But, you, you know, the importance of actually taking yourself away from the work premises to give yourself some headspace, you know, to just allow yourself to breathe and then just eat 
in um in peace and in a more restful mode you know learning about more about nutrition you know that is so important to take the time to eat a meal and um, not in a hurry and to just allow it to digest as well um, to, to really power you up for the rest of the afternoon or the evening or however long you're working for mm. um, so that you can maintain that that sharpness that focus and you know I've I've been in pharmacies where you, you know that the toilets are like you know up two flights of stairs and so you're thinking oh I can't drink too much water you know that you need the water in order to hydrate yourself to keep yourself you know mentally sharp but you just know I, I cannot leave the counter I cannot leave the pharmacy to be going up to the toilet every hour and I know in my low coming days um there was a supermarket chain I used to work for, and they were long hours, like 8 a.m. in the morning till 10 p.m. at night. You were allowed half an hour break. And so in my half an hour, I'd say, right, I'm going at this time. I'd go up to the canteen and then over the tannoy, they're calling me, you know, oh my God. the pharmacist come back to the pharmacy because there is a customer waiting. And... Yes, yeah, so that was tough. It's mentally exhausting, though, because you just don't have any opportunity to turn off. Exactly. And if you're in a busy pharmacy, which most people are, you know, someone can walk in that door or multiple customers can walk in the door at any time. And, you know, you might even go seven to eight hours without having eaten anything or taken a break for five minutes for a cup of tea because it's just been busy enough where you just power through and it becomes part of your kind of normal daily life. And I think it's a conversation that a lot of community pharmacists need to actually reflect on and say to their, you know, management. Or if you are, I guess, listening and you are a community pharmacy manager, that think about the impact that that's having on the health and well-being of your staff and what we can do in order to support that. Surely there is a way to explain to a customer that I, I get it, that you're probably in a hurry as well, but we only have one pharmacist and the poor thing is working 11 to 12 hours and also needs a break. And you've just walked into the pharmacy at the time that she needs to sit down and you're going to have to wait for your prescription, I'm afraid. And if you make that normal for customers to understand and you build it into you know, what your community pharmacy offers to their customers and explain it to them. And it's going to take some time and it's going to take a few angry patients who come through the door and expect things to be done straight away. It's still doable because we can't be living in a society where we don't look after ourselves and we can't be working in an environment where we're supposed to be promoting health and well-being as part of our job and not even look after ourselves. Exactly. You're giving all this advice to other people and you're not even doing it. You know, it just makes no sense. And you cannot be the best version of yourself and have that mental power to support every patient who walks in the door and have the patience to deal with whatever may pop up. Because you may get angry patients, you may get someone who's in a really 
severe situation that you need to provide all your emotional energy to support them through whatever they're going through. And how are you supposed to do that without having the correct nutrition, the correct rest and the correct hydration? Um, I think it's a topic of conversation that needs to come up more often. Um, and we need to advocate for it within the profession. the The body can only keep going for a certain amount of time, you know, on mm. that sort of adrenaline and, you know, um, perhaps poor nutrition or meals eaten in a rushed way or no meals and all those stress hormones until the body just burns out. Yeah. And, I mean, so know. many pharmacists are going through that, aren't they? And it's because of the environment that they're exposed to and the work that they're expected to get through. Even in that situation, you're not going to make the right choices in terms of the food that you eat because you're going to find something that you can inhale within two minutes. Yes. It's happened to me before. You literally find something that you can just eat within a two to three minute period that will give you enough energy to survive the rest of the day. Even if you made a salad for lunch, you know that you don't have time to chew that much. So there's no way that you're going to eat that because it's going to take you 20 minutes to get through the meal. So it doesn't really support looking after yourself as an employee. And it doesn't really look after your clientele either. Exactly. And, you know, the reliance on coffee. I know I used to drink so much coffee to just keep going throughout the day, um, just to keep me sharp and focused. Mm. I'm sure a lot of people do. Um, And it's just become part of their normal routine, really. And they know that that's what other people are doing and they continue to do it because they don't know how else to manage the situation it's it I'm sure it would be very difficult to go up to your manager and say well actually I need 30 minutes of silence and peace and be able to eat my lunch without being disturbed and how can we make this happen if you're the only pharmacist who works there on a day-to-day basis um I think you'll be afraid to ask but I think people need to step out of that comfort zone and advocate for themselves advocate for their own health and well-being in the workplace as well. Um, And you might be surprised as to what outcome you get if you do ask. And if you don't ask, you don't get. Um, But I'm sure it is challenging and more challenging than um, I'm making it out to be Mm -hmm. Um, because it's become the norm for most people and that's what makes it difficult to break that cycle. And once I just have to say, you know, just to be totally honest, I'm not mentioning... um, the employer at the time but there was a time when I was working really long hours and we had a new manager in and basically I wasn't really getting a lunch break and I said I need at least 30 minutes just headspace just to get away from the pharmacy and I remember being told you know okay but there's, you know, the business won't allow it. And there's plenty of other people that would happily take your place. Mm. That's really sad. And that's really worrying that that's the situation that we're in and the environment that people are expected to work through. Um, but, you know, this is a really valuable and important discussion that I think more people need to advocate for. Um, because. I don't think it's right. 
It's not right. right. Absolutely not right. Not in the job that we do where, you know, one slip of concentration, you know, and the Mm. consequences could be devastating. Mm, Definitely. Um, I'm sure you've been through a lot of other kind of experiences, good and bad obstacles that you've had to overcome during your, um, I guess, your experiences in community pharmacy. Um, Maybe you can share some of those with us. Sure. So I think although I really, really loved my work as a pharmacist in my 20s, so at the beginning of my career, and I think in those days, you know, we are talking about the 1990s pharmacy was very different to what it is now. So things were a little bit more relaxed. And then, you know, working all these really, really long hours. After a few years, it really took its toll. You know, the the exhaustion hit. The It was more like I had too much going on in my head. I couldn't switch off at night. You know, as pharmacists, even once we've done a day's work, you know, and I don't know if, if you or anybody else can relate to this, I found it really hard to switch off at night. I'd be lying in bed and I'd be going through the day like, did I check that prescription right? Did I calculate that dosage correctly? Did I give the best advice to to this person? And, you know, I used to thrive on that sort of um, energy where you're checking someone's prescription, but you're aware that someone needs you on the telephone and there's a couple of customers waiting for you at the OTC counter. And I hit a point, I think when I was 30, when I thought I was going to have a nervous breakdown because I just couldn't take that pressure anymore. And um, I, I made the decision to reduce the workload. So, so I went down to a four-day week. And I just made sure that on that day off, I, I, I went into nature. I took a walk. You, you know, there, there's so much evidence now around forest bathing. Well, it's not even forest bathing. It's nature bathing, you know, just getting out there, you know. And that really helped to sort of um, clear my head, sort of to make more space in my head. And that helped me um with my stress response. And I also found, I know we've been talking about this um, just before, um, having an appreciation journal. So I know you can call it gratitude journal. But for me, I like the word appreciation. You know, you know, what, what do I appreciate in my life? And I found this a really good exercise to do before I went to bed. And it could have been just a really small thing that happened during the day, you know, you know, a customer smile or a certain interaction um, with a team member or even, oh, you've made me a really fantastic cup of tea and just little things and very slowly that really helped to sort of fortify me um, so it wasn't an overnight 
um, change, but over a few months, um, that really helped. I also found that when I came home after work, rather than watching um, some, you know, thrillers or dramas, actually watching a program that made me laugh really, really helped. It was that release of any sort of, you know, stored up stress hormones that helped immensely. Um, but I think my lowest point in my career, well, it's definitely the, the lowest point, is where I was a cog in the wheel of, of a series of certain events that actually led to somebody's death. And I wasn't directly responsible. Um, it was, um, you know, I had um, given out some methadone, you know, on a Saturday afternoon. And obviously, you, you, you know, that the store was closed on the Sunday. So you give the take home dose for the Sunday, you know, you reiterate, they need to store it safely, etc. And unfortunately, on the Monday, um, a certain member in that household had decided to drink that methadone that was prescribed for somebody else. And so I gave the methadone out on the Saturday. And then on the Tuesday morning, I'll never forget it, it was 9.30 in the morning, a busy pharmacy, and these two policemen walked in through the door. And I looked up, you know, police have a presence, and you know if the police have just come in to shop to buy some paracetamol or if there's something a little bit more serious. And my heart just dropped because I just had this gut feeling they're here to talk to me. I've done something. I've done something wrong. I didn't know at the time what it was. And the, the pharmacy was so busy, you know, and I had all this checking to do for the waiters. And so I carried on. I mean, I can remember I was shaking, but I carried on, you know, got rid of the queue. And then, you know, we said, okay, any other prescriptions are going to be at half an hour. And, um, and so, yes, so we had a private conversation and the police told me what had happened, that this adult had drunk some methadone that had been not prescribed for him and obviously he'd passed on. And I don't know how I got through the rest of the day. Um, and I think for me it was really throwing myself into my work and almost like, I'd, I'd, whatever emotions or feelings I had about this, the, the shock horror was, you know, I, I managed to, you know, it's almost like brushing something under a carpet somewhere in my body. And I remember that evening I went to the police station to give a voluntary statement. And the thing was that that 
patient that the methadone was for carried on coming into the pharmacy. And I had to face him, um, you know, and still interact. You know, we are professionals. We maintain that professional stance, whatever. And I was invited to attend the coroner's hearing, and that wasn't until 10 months after. And again, it was the relief of hearing the coroner say, you know, you have nothing to feel guilty about. This was nothing to do with you. There was there was stuff going on in the family. But it was like a burden. And the way I coped was I threw myself into work. I just worked Monday to Saturday nonstop. Um, and I know for myself, had I said, oh, I need to take some time away, I don't think I'd ever would have gone back to practicing as a pharmacist. But what is really also interesting is I'd, I'd brushed all those feelings, all those emotions, because I couldn't even talk to anybody about it. Because even though I was not I was not directly responsible for this. I felt guilty. And I kept going on, you know, in my head. Could I have done something different, you know? And so, you know, 16 months after that, that's when I was established in Devon. I was opening this wonderful new pharmacy, um, you know, dealing with all these different complementary therapists. And at the time, I had really bad acne on my face and on my back. But I felt more content, you know, with what had gone on, like I'd sort of built this resilience. And anyway, one of the complementary therapists said to me, oh, I do EFT, you know, emotional freedom technique where you tap. She says, I want a testimonial. Would you would you have some free sessions? And I said, okay, why not? You know, so for a couple of months, you know, we worked every two weeks and, you know, it was okay. And then on the fourth session, you know, I'm ta we're tapping there. I don't even know what we were tapping on, but all of a sudden I just broke down. And all those memories, those feelings that I'd bottled up around that incident just came out and she was fantastic she you know we tapped it through and I felt like I'd been hit by a lorry afterwards I was absolutely exhausted but three days later I woke up and my skin was clear so you know I'd been storing and holding all those emotions around that incident all that stress um, and so that really showed me the, the importance of, you know, self-care and not bottling things up, not trying whatever happens, not bottling them up, you know, sweeping things under the carpet. Um, that was a steep learning curve for me. That sounds like a really challenging situation, but what comes to mind is that you had to deal with that alone. And 
Where was the support from your employer? So I was interviewed. Oh, my goodness, I was interviewed so many times, but I didn't have that support. Um, And like I say, my method of coping was to throw myself into working crazy hours. But I felt so guilty, even though there was nothing I could have changed around that incident that I almost couldn't talk about it and now I can see with hindsight the value of talking you know discussing maybe having a mentor and having a support network of maybe colleagues or or not even necessarily other pharmacists but being able to share these things but the thing is I was low coming at the time I was very far away from friends and family and this is this is before the days of mobile phones you know so I was very far away from home and I I, that was my method of coping I I brushed it all inside and um, hid it in a very deep part of myself which was the wrong thing Mm. to do it's it's definitely an interesting experience to go through and obviously you've learned a lot about yourself in that time and understanding, I guess, what coping mechanisms work for you. So if you're ever faced with difficult situations again, you would obviously tackle it very differently. Absolutely. But I guess what's worrying in terms of being in this profession or any healthcare role, especially with the pandemic and having dealt with so much grief, a lot of people have dealt with a lot of grief over the last two years and been put in very stressful and challenging situations emotionally, physically taxing on the body, the amount of hours that people have been working, um, that it would be really important again to support the health and well-being of staff wherever you are. I'm really fortunate because in the palliative care team, The consultants and nurses are extremely mindful that it is a very emotional, um, I guess, specialty to work in. So we talk through cases and how people feel all the time. And the first time I experienced going to a hospice with um, a mother and a baby and watching that child die in that mother's arms, um, was obviously a really emotional experience as a healthcare professional, as a parent, as a human. Um, And the first thing that the nurse said to me after that happened was, you know, would you like to talk about it? And would you like to share your feelings on what you've just been through? Um, And, you know, I am very fortunate that I have a team that look after kind of the emotional side of what we go through on a day-to-day basis. And it's quite normal for us to discuss that sort of grief. Um, I'm not sure if it's normal to go through that in a community pharmacy, because I'm sure lots of situations like this can potentially occur. And even if it doesn't involve the police or someone dying, there are definitely situations which would have been really challenging with coronavirus, which will have impacted pharmacists' lives um, and kind of what support mechanisms are in place. I mean, for me personally, I rely a lot on my friends at work and colleagues in terms of talking, but I am a very open person. Um, I do like to discuss things with people and I do get relief by 
talking it through with somebody if I feel that strongly about a patient that I've dealt with. Um, I'm not really a crier. <laughs> I cry maybe once or twice a year, if that. Um, but for some people, obviously, that does provide quite a lot of relief and a, a lot of kind of tension that's built up gets released through obviously crying. Um, and it works for a lot of people. There are times when I actually feel like I want to cry, but I just can't. It's a very strange thing. Um, I've always dealt with this um, for a long time in terms of my life. And it ends up being that, you know, that once a year I kind of burst. Something might have happened, but it's caused me to kind of like burst into tears. It happened when Liliana was born, when I was so overwhelmed by having a newborn and just the lack of sleep. I'm sure a million and one mothers go through this. But, you know, I I just suddenly was just like, I can't cope. You know, like, this is so hard. Like, you know, nothing I seemed to do was working with her because she used to cry a lot. Um, and she had a kind of cow's milk protein allergy, which wasn't identified for several months. But she used to cry all the time and we just couldn't figure it out and we just kind of put it down to potentially colic um and just trying to support her in the moments but it was so tough watching her cry that much and that intensely um that at, at that time I kind of burst into tears and just melted down with my husband but it felt really good afterwards to have been able to let it out it was just a very huge release um which I guess has built up for so many months and it's something similar to what you must have gone through is that something triggered you to have that release in that moment but you had that for nearly two years on your mind that kind of guilt and I guess the negative thoughts about that patient and it is hard to go back to work after you've experienced something like that because when you feel like you've made a mistake that's impacted somebody else or somebody else's life, it's a horrible feeling. Um, we've all made mistakes. Every pharmacist makes them and it doesn't feel good when they happen. Um, I guess the important part of dealing with errors and kind of making mistakes is understanding why they happened and what caused them to happen so you can prevent them from happening again um but for you to go through that alone must have been really challenging and like you say without kind of mobile phones and feeling quite secluded um in a different part of the country must have been really challenging um so I guess you must feel quite grateful that that um lady reached out to you for some free sessions and you were able to kind of work through it in an unexpected way yes totally unexpected totally and it was also just just being able to talk about it and like you say it's a release and it's it's invaluable just having that space to be able to do that a safe environment where you feel yes. comfortable to kind of open up you and know not judged no judgment mm. someone also you know, who will listen to you and your concerns and not brush off your feelings or I guess what you're going through. And we've talked about this in other episodes that um, it is quite hard to open up to other people because you do feel judged at times. Um, for me, I mean, I rely on my husband a lot when I go through things emotionally, but I'm very fortunate that I have a lot of friends at work as well that I can talk to about a lot of things. Mm -hmm. um, but not everyone 
has that same experience and in a community pharmacy it's different because you may not have other pharmacist colleagues that you work with on a day-to-day basis and it can feel quite lonely exactly it's different isn't it Mm. um i guess from working in community pharmacy what what kind of was your triggering point to move into another area of healthcare? Maybe you could just start delving into that side of your your current life and, and what kind of transitioned you from community pharmacy. Sure. So like I say, I'd always had this fascination with supplements and how are they made and what's the difference in their bioavailability and you know meeting all these other complementary therapists throughout my career and obviously you you know um such as EFT how helpful it was um for me to to release that that particular that that all those emotions around um that particular incident that happened to me and so when the menopause hit me in my 40s it was literally overnight and a lot of women will say this you know the menopause hit me overnight one day I was fine the next day I'm standing there in front of a customer I'm getting this hot flush rising you know, or I'd be talking to a customer and I'd literally lose my train of thought. And I couldn't, I just couldn't grasp the word that I needed to put into that sentence. And then the night sweat started and, you know, I'd be waking up several times a day, which then affects your uh, leptin um levels and so the next day you're just craving carbs and the weights piling on and I got very anxious like in a way that I had never been so anxious so even getting into a car and driving down the motorway to um my workplace I you know I was I was shaking. I was and I couldn't understand why. So so I tried, you know, because I'd read so much about supplements. I tried certain supplements, made a few tweaks in my diet with the just with the knowledge that I had about nutrition. And the supplements they they'd work for a bit and then they'd stop working. And as as the months progressed, it was the symptoms became very debilitating and they were really affecting how I functioned at work. I was also getting really excruciating migraines that would last for three, four days in the week. Um, I was taking a lot of Zomitriptan, which, you know, would, would get rid of the migraine, but it just leaves you feeling so lethargic and exhausted. And so I thought this cannot continue. And I went to a private practitioner. I'd tried various other complementary therapies like acupuncture and nothing was really sticking. So I went to this private practitioner. And she basically said, we need to get you tested. We need to do some functional tests to see exactly what is going on in your body. It might not necessarily be your estrogen levels or progesterone levels. 
And that really sparked my interest because, I, you know, scientific mind. And I thought, oh, functional testing. Yes, let's see my numbers. Let's really see, you, you know, the biochemistry of my body, exactly what's going on. And so we did, she did some functional tests. And then seeing the figures, you know, having them analyzed as to what was exactly what was going on in my body was the game changer for me. And then all it took was a few dietary tweaks, few high caliber supplements. And I also realized I had a food intolerance to egg whites. And within um, eliminating egg whites within three weeks, I was migraine free. And I just thought, because literally within weeks, I was feeling so much better. And I thought, how fascinating. I want to share this with the world. I want to be doing what this practitioner is doing. And so I enrolled onto a four-year course to study nutritional uh, therapy um at the Institute for Optimum Nutrition in Richmond. And I did a remote course because I was still working. Um, so I, I sort of studied in the evenings and at weekends. And I just for my final year I had to travel into London for clinic days. And yes, so I now have my own business, online clinic, the holistic pharmacist. And I love it. I couldn't think of a better way to um, earn an income, but also to help people, to help people. I just feel I've got a whole arena of extra tools and knowledge now than what I had five years ago. Yeah, that's amazing. And I and I love the idea of looking at kind of functional medicine from getting all these kind of hormone tests, understanding, you know, your cortisol levels, looking at food intolerances and things that we just don't have access to with regular kind of, you know, GP care um, and primary care services that are available in the UK, because it just gives you so much insight into the unknown. And making those changes, which seem relatively small, can have such a huge impact. And having that awareness can literally change your life. And for a lot of people, I mean, there's a lot of kind of functional and kind of lifestyle medicine doctors out there even now that are promoting. Um, you know, I listened to Dr. Rongan Chatterjee. Oh, I love him. I love that man. <laughs> Um, I've loved him for many years um, and I will continue to love him and his podcast and everything that he has to kind of offer. Um, I've been listening to um, Dr. Rupi, um, who is uh, the doctor's kitchen, That's right. um, who I love so much as well. And, um, you know, the kind of network of kind of lifestyle medicine kind of doctors and healthcare professionals that I now kind of support in terms of listening to their um 
you know, audible books or, or podcasts has changed dramatically. And I get so much advice from them in terms of nutrition, in terms of lifestyle, in terms of sleep. And they get all these amazing experts onto their shows, um, which help. And I've read so many additional books just from their guests. Um, like, you know, Matthew Walker, um, his book about sleep has been amazing and it has made quite a big impact. And this is all general lifestyle advice which doesn't relate to me specifically and having insight into all of these tests that you do as part of your clinic is the next step is the next stage of what I definitely want to try and achieve because I know that there are certain things which I can't quite understand like at the moment I'm telling you I can't sleep at the moment and I'm trying everything in my power to support the good habits that are required to have a good night's sleep. And I don't know why I can't do it and I can't understand it. And I feel that if I go to the GP, he's going to tell me to do all of the things that I'm already doing. And if not, he's going to write me a prescription, which is not what I want to do. I don't want to take a medication at this point. I really want to understand the cause of it. And I know there is something going on, but I'm not sure what it is. Um, and there are tests such as the ones that you do, whether it's looking at hormones, whether it's looking at your stress, whether it's looking at, um, you know, intolerances and things that might be able to support something really valuable um, and give me that insight that's required. And I'm sure that, I mean, can you share some stories of patients that you or clients that you have seen where some really exciting or interesting changes have been made to people's lives um which i guess they're that were unexpected for them as well what kind of insights have you seen yes so um you know i get a variety of clients so some people come to me just for a one-off consultation because they may say look i have a, a parent who has say dementia and I just, I just want you to give me sort of a, a lifelong program on what to, what to do and what not to do to avoid me going down that same route. And then I also have, you know, people that do want some more evidence based, um, you know, um, guidance where we do some testing. So I, I see a lot of women with menstrual disorders um, and, you know, perhaps they've come off the pill or, you know, perhaps they're, they're going through perimenopause or menopause or they're considering HRT, but they're not quite sure whether it that's the right thing for them. And so one of the uh, functional tests that I absolutely love is called a Dutch test, which is um, dried urine test for comprehensive hormones, which is so easy. You basically urinate on four strips of paper over the course of 24 hours. But it really gives us a good indication as to what's going on with estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, and also their breakdown products. So, for example, um, if a woman is considering HRT, we need to make sure that the liver is metabolizing estrogen correctly. Because if it's not, 
you know, she could end up with symptoms of, of estrogen uh, dominance. And, you know, we look at the three phases of detoxification, phase one, phase two, phase three, and the way estrogen is, is you know, transformed down all those three phases you know and phase three is obviously what is happening in the gut and if the gut microbiome isn't balanced you know that that estrogen that has been packaged up and detoxed by the liver it's, it's just going to all these unfriendly bacteria are just going to unpick that and it's just going to get reabsorbed back into the body so I've I've had a lot of success stories with women who have had hormonal imbalances and issues. Um, you know, very young women in their twenties, where they, you know, their periods just stopped. And we've done some testing and analysed, you know, what pathways may be out of balance, and literally just a few tweaks around the diet and maybe, um, you know, a, a supplement or two, plus some lifestyle advice. Um, I've just been talking to one client who had a, had a period since last November, as in 2020. And since working with me, she's, she's, she's got her periods back again through just some, you know, really small, targeted interventions, natural interventions. Um, I mean, I'll also take my mum as a case study. So she was diagnosed with moderate Alzheimer's in March 2018. Uh, and the prognosis was not good. I remember the consultant sitting us down and saying, things are going to get a lot worse very fast. And I made the decision to sell up my house and, you know, to move in with her so I could look after her. Um, and through good nutrition, she complains that she has to eat so much broccoli. Um, she's hydrated. She's taking a few um, specific supplements, you know, and we've actually halved her meds we've been able to have her meds obviously with the um approval of the gp because i will often work you know in tandem with gps especially if there's you know um the client is on a lot of medications and and so my mum you, you know people say she hasn't got alzheimer's she's looking great and it just shows you know personalized nutrition it's not necessarily good nutrition because what is good for one person is not necessarily going to be good for the next person so what I do is very personalized nutrition and I try to work out you know a person's gut health um, and restore gut health first and so you know, I also work with, um, you know, a lot of um, skin conditions, acne. And again, you know, that could be um, 
a deficiency in essential fatty acids, or it could be more of a hormonal uh, issue. And again, just simply by tweaking or giving a very specific um, omega-3 supplement, and then just tweaking something in the diet can make a huge, huge difference. And what I'm really finding at the moment is a lot of young women that come to me and they say, you know, they have acne, they're, they're sort of having a lot of facial hair, but they're losing the hair on their head. Their actual, their bodies, although they're producing the right amount of testosterone, that testosterone is being broken down by um, what we call a 5-alpha pathway which really makes that testosterone much more potent. And this is a pathway that we need to rebalance and restore. And literally within two or three months, and this is through food, um, you know, they, they are feeling so much better. And also, you know, you know things like um, I've been working with one lady who was diagnosed with Lyme's disease a few years ago, and she was spending a fortune on supplements. I mean, literally over a hundred pounds a month, and nothing was really shifting. And um, so I said to her, do, "Do you know what? Let's just do a hair analysis test." Because at the back of my mind, I just thought, because I see myself as a detective, you know, what's really going on in this person's body? And I just thought, let's just see if there's a heavy metal toxicity. And a hair test is one of the best ways to check for heavy metal accumulation. And lo and behold, she had very high lead. And lead is like any lead accumulation is going to be like the bully on the bus. You need to get the bully off the bus before any real deep healing can take place. So, yeah, that's just a few, um, a, a few case um, histories that I can share. Um, but I've, I've helped women with fertility issues, you know, and even men, when they come in and they say, Do you know, I'm really worried about my testosterone, I'm having all these different symptoms. And, you know, with testing, we've seen that actually their bodies are producing too much estrogen. You know, this high fat, high sugar diet is, is, um, enhancing estrogen produ production in men and then they're getting a lot of these um these symptoms of you know belly fat exhaustion sleep problems and a lack of you know stamina so i love my work i just absolutely love it and i think having this um this this sort of um tool of being able to choose and organize and arrange and analyze functional tests for somebody that you know to me with my scientific mind you know I love le reading test results and analyzing them and really detecting deciphering okay which pathway do we need to work on first it's like finding the first domino you know, that is then going to have a beneficial effect on all the other dominoes that need to 
be rebalanced. It's quite an amazing transition for a pharmacist to go into this field because you have a lot of basic knowledge about human anatomy and physiology. You also have obviously the medication pathophysiology and pharmacology as to what the drugs do to the body. So you're understanding what people are taking and how that's impacting them. And then identifying all these additional tests and making small changes and understanding those pathways, like you say, and having such a quite a large impact on people's lives in a short space of time. It just it sounds very rewarding. It sounds like a really interesting job, um, something that I can sense like a lot of passion and kind of like value comes from that. Um, but it links back to pharmacy quite significantly in terms of what you've learned in the course and what you've experienced over so many years of working in a community pharmacy and understanding what types of issues that people go through as well on a day-to-day basis. And whether it's stress, whether it's hormones, whether it's sleep, I mean, it's all relevant. Um, And all those years of experience of working as a pharmacist must be invaluable in the job that you do now. Absolutely. And you know, because a consultation, you know, whether someone comes for a one-off consultation or as part of a program, like a three-month program, you know, we start off with a consultation, which is usually about 60 to 90 minutes. And what I have learned is the beauty of allowing that person the space to talk and having somebody to really listen and really validate exactly what they're going through or what they've been through, their challenges, their struggles. And, you know, nutritional therapy isn't always about the, okay, you must eat this food. And and a lot of people get scared because they say to me, oh, you're going to tell me to go gluten-free, dairy-free, give up sugar, give up alcohol, give up coffee. And it's like, actually, no. Because quite often, because we want to get that person feeling so much better, whether it's somebody who's feeling complete exhaustion or someone who's really struggling with their mental health, you know, it's like, what can we do to to make them feel better literally within a week or two? And it's usually putting something in rather than taking things out. So for example, I have been working with a um, a pharmacist, you know, who's working really long hours, you know, exactly what we've, we've been talking about today. And I said, look, you know, the most important thing will be what you do first thing in the morning, you know, have a really good, nutritious breakfast. And, you know, we uh, negotiated, we're going to start off with a smoothie, a nutrient packed smoothie, you know, with a good protein powder, you know, a a dollop of omega three oils, perhaps some avocado, some nice rocket, um, some fruit to sweeten it, obviously, nut milk, some pumpkin seeds, sunflower seeds. And, you know, we're flooding the body with nutrients. We're giving it a really good foundation for the rest of the day. So no matter what my client then eats or doesn't eat for the rest of the day or whether she's having a, 
you, you know, loads of carbs um, or snacking on chocolate, you know, that's giving her body the foundations. It's, it's supporting the adrenal glands with that stress response. And, you know, she said, I'm feeling so much better. I have more energy. I have more focus. So that, you know, one thing of changing something, you know, um, in the morning can have really, really huge benefits. Yeah. I mean, what you do in the morning makes a huge impact into your day. I'm hugely aware of that. And I love kind of having a good morning routine. Um, everyone who listens to me know I either walk, run, kind of do something active in the morning as part of my commute to work because it doesn't take additional time in the evening to then do a workout. Plus, I don't like working out in the evenings. I'm usually quite tired. It's my time with my my daughter and my husband. And also, I don't want to do something extremely energetic towards bedtime because then it does impact my sleep. Um, but I just also like the idea of doing something good for myself when I wake up in the morning and just doing something for me, something for my body, something that will be positive and give me that energy and positivity towards my day. And if everything goes wrong for the rest of the day, I know that I set it up right. Um, and it does, it does have a massive impact. And there is a lot of kind of value that comes from starting your day positively. Um, I'm trying to do some meditation on the train now in the mornings um, using my Calm app, um, which is about 15 minutes on the train, which I think, I mean, it's only been a few days um, and I'm on and off with meditation um, and I need to kind of find a way to incorporate it into my routine every day. And because I'm not on the train every day um, and Wednesdays I tend to work from home, my routine's slightly different. But it's kind of finding a way to try and change it so that I do incorporate using the app at a certain time in, in terms of my routine. Um, but again, it's small tweaks um, that I need to manage um, in order to try and improve what I'm doing in the morning. Because if I am at home, I tend to be a little bit more lazy in terms of my routine in comparison to the days where I need to travel. I'm very organized on the days I need to travel and I do everything to make sure that I look after myself and when I'm at home I'm a little bit more relaxed and maybe a little bit more lazy um but it's good that I have the awareness now to try and make those changes and use that as a form of progress because it is hard to do everything 100% all of the time it's very difficult to be the best version of you every day you have ups and downs emotionally um you know things come up in life whether it's your children your family you know your work which doesn't motivate you the weather is really challenging at the moment for everybody in terms of motivation i'm finding it really hard to wake up and walk to the station in the pitch black and use a torch just to get to the station it doesn't feel as good as seeing the sunrise in the morning and walk to the station and watch it you know, and see the beautiful fields. It's it's very different. Um, but I've said this to you earlier that you have to change what your routine is like depending on the seasons as well. And and that's really valuable in terms of how you feel. Um, 
I mean, I'm just really excited for you that you've taken this kind of leap of faith of coming out of community pharmacy and doing something for yourself. And that must have taken a lot of what felt like a risky decision and a lot of courage to become self-employed and try something new. Um, well, my, but it's my exciting. Goal, yeah, my goal was when I um, received my diploma, when I graduated, was that I would integrate that with, with still working for Boots. But then the pandemic struck and in a way that's what pushed me to just do this full time um so I resigned on very good terms um from my job and you know I, I did a lot of prep work so I did a lot of networking I made myself very visible like this is what I'm doing so even before I received my diploma I'd already got clients in the diary um purely because of all the PR work that that I was doing the the networking like here you know here I am this is what I do and um you know it takes headspace in order to start a, a new business you need that headspace and I don't think had I still been working and trying to do run this business from home as well I, I think I would have burnt myself out again Mm. For some people, the pandemic has been a blessing. It's opened up doors and opportunities and actually changed people's perspectives on what they're doing. And for you, you've made a 360 turn on what you do in terms of your job and who you are today. And um, it's really interesting to see that as part of your journey. Um, And it's inspiring from many different perspectives um, and I and I wish you all the best with so this journey forward. And um, it's been a wonderful, wonderful conversation. Um, I will ask you one question before I kind of kind of close off the podcast. Is okay. I guess if you went back in time to the day that you registered as a pharmacist, um, you know what what kind of advice would you give yourself because you've been through so much in terms of ups and downs and different roles and the challenges that you faced mm-hmm. um and you've gained a lot of experience in that time um when you reflect on that maybe what would you tell yourself to do or how to behave or um you know what advice kind of can you can you give yourself so yes it would be something along the lines that you know, being a pharmacist is very rewarding and satisfying, but you have to prioritize yourself. You have to prioritize your mental, physical, emotional well-being. Um, you know, and also it's so, with hindsight, I can see so, so important to build a support network, you know, that you can then talk in a safe space about any challenges that you might be facing. But yes, self-care is so important because that will set the foundations to enable you to um, to do what you want to do, not only, mm. you know, in your professional life, but also in your personal life. But 
it's also don't live to work, which is what I did for decades. It's like work to live. Yeah, no, 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 I completely agree with you. And that is wonderful advice that we do. We are, you know, our number one customer. We do need to look after ourselves in order to look after our families, in order to look after our patients, in order to serve our communities. It's really important that we look after ourselves emotionally, mentally, physically. Um, And it's something that I guess we haven't really incorporated into the professional curriculum in terms of how to look after yourself in a very busy working environment. And it's something that I want to advocate for in the future in terms of this profession, because we are very well aware that pharmacists are burning out, that they're not enjoying the profession as much as they used to. Um, There is a lot of pressure, there's a lot of challenge, there's a lot of resource issues. um, And I don't think that we put enough emphasis on ensuring that our workforce is looked after. Um, So it's something that I I definitely value. And it's good that we've had that time to kind of reflect on it because I think it's a topic of conversation that doesn't come up enough. Um, And I hope that my listeners are reflecting on their own kind of work lives at the moment and thinking what they could do to look after themselves a little bit more. Yeah. Um, thank you again no, so much you. for coming on to the podcast. Thank you. It's been a pleasure, absolute yeah. pleasure. Yeah, and I've really enjoyed learning about your experiences and, you know, it's been really inspiring to see what you've been through in terms of um, your career and it's really exciting to see that you've started a venture on your own and I genuinely wish you all the best with, you, with that and I look forward to, yeah, I look forward to hearing how that how that goes. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others. You can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Pharmacist Diaries UK and on Twitter at Farm Diaries UK. That is P-H-A-R-M Diaries UK. Subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform so you can be notified when a new episode is released. Finally, please visit Apple Podcasts and leave me a review as it will help the podcast reach more people. If you have any suggestions for guests you want me to talk to or if you'd like to come on yourself, please feel free to contact me via social media or email at info at pharmacistdiaries.com.